chapter number two, and Marquise did a good job last Wednesday night, and so it's always good when he's around, and uh, why he, he stays here, we help him with things, he gets married, then he just leaves us and forgets about us. It's the way it goes, right? That's the way it goes, and so, but... Revelation chapter 2 tonight, only a few verses. We'll dive right into the notes and look at some thoughts tonight. As we're here, look at chapter 2, look down at verse number 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich... And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear not of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. There's not a lot of good things said in those few short verses. Now, something that you'll notice is out of the churches, the seven churches that are written to, only two of those churches are not corrected on things. And the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia, and we'll talk more about that when we get there, those are the only two churches where the Lord doesn't tell them they need to correct things. So this really, though, we look at this, we look at the church at Smyrna, it was a suffering church. The city of Smyrna was located about 35 miles north of Ephesus. In John's day, it had a population of about 100,000 people. And uh, it was located, and uh, it was a big city. you got to understand something. A few years before Jesus was born, the city of Smyrna was wiped out by an earthquake. But then it grew back to 100,000 in John's day. So we're looking at like 80, 90 years. The city had completely grown back. There are even some remnants left of the church in Smyrna. If you were to go to this area today, and if you want to put that up on the screen for us there, that's what's left of the church there. It's kind of cool to be able to see. You've got those, uh, not now that airport and those big buildings, that, you know, that's modern day. That wasn't there back then. But this is what's left of the church there. And the pillars out there and all of that, there's literally some remains left from this church. And that's this church here that this was written to almost 2,000 years ago. When we talk about this city, the city of Smyrna, it got its name, it was famous because of myrrh. Myrrh was produced there. And this substance, it's a shrub-like tree that produced this bitter, gummy substance. And what happens is when the tree would be crushed, it would produce that fragrance of myrrh. Now, when you think about myrrh, we think about... When Jesus, wasn't he brought myrrh? He was brought myrrh. It was a symbol, they used it to bury people with, that fragrance. And so, and myrrh, literally, we think about in the Old Testament, if you remember, there were the bitter springs of Mara, 
Mara, myrrh, they sound similar. The words are close. Myrrh stands for bitter. And so this city, the city of Smyrna, was known for myrrh. And it was also, you think about how myrrh comes about from being crushed. This church endured a lot. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about some Christians during that time. And some of the things... And, you know, it's one of the things that's kind of neat as you look at these churches. You literally get to look back in history and see some of the people that lived in that day. Some of the earliest church fathers, we go back to this time. Polycarp. Some of you are like, Polly, who? We'll talk about him a little bit tonight. And he was actually, he, he was here in this church in Smyrna. And there's recorded history of him and his stand against Rome and what happened to him. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit tonight. The city was, like Ephesus, a free city. They were not under the Roman, you know, like the Jews were not a, Jerusalem was not a free city. And I think one of the reasons was those Jews were rebel rousers. So they had Rome right there keeping a close eye on them. Smyrna, Ephesus, these cities out here, these were free cities. They could kind of do their thing. And you've got to understand, though, there was a lot of paganism in this city. There was a temple to Zeus, Aphrodite, Apollo, a lot of different ones. In fact, there was a street paved from the temple they had for Zeus to the temple of, uh, I don't even know how you would say it, C-Y-L, where is it, C-Y-Sabel? So the between the temple of Sabel and the temple of Zeus, there was a gold street paved between the two. It was, a, it was known for the pagan roots and these pagan things. And what you've got to understand about this is, this church endured terrible persecution for their stand for Jesus Christ. And so tonight, I'm going to talk about this church and what Jesus had to say to them and then I'm also going to show you, you remember how I told you I believe that these seven churches represent the time in history, the church age, and different periods of time. I'm going to show you, and you notice there at the top of your notes, it says 100 A.D. to 310 A.D. I believe that the church at Smyrna, I'd mentioned the church at Ephesus was about the church for up to 100 A.D. I believe that the church of Smyrna represents the church from 100 A.D. to 310 A.D. And I'm going to explain to you why in a few minutes tonight. Tonight, you're going to hear a lot about persecution. You're going to hear about what Christians went through. We don't know what persecution is like today. COVID, people got fined. You go up to Canada, people were put in jail. There's lots of things, but nothing like what I'm going to tell you about tonight. And I know sometimes you, you say there are young ears in the room. I get that. But they're, you know, but some of the video games and some of the things you let your kids see is not as bad as what I'm going to be talking about tonight. And I'd be careful about all those things as well. But let's talk about this church tonight. Number one, we look at Smyrna here, and we see that it was a crushed church. It was a crushed church. Now, what do you mean by that? This church was going through immense problems, persecution, because they stood for Jesus Christ. Look at our text, and look at verse number 9. It says, I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, 
but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. We see, first of all, that this church, it was a crushed church, because why, letter A, they faced tribulation. You notice our text here says, I know thy works and tribulation. The word tribulation here, it literally means pressure. It was used in that day to refer to the crushing of an object by a heavy stone. The word tribulation, and when we think about these things, it was pressure. This church was paying a price because they stood for Jesus Christ. And may I just remind you, Jesus said that we would have tribulation, didn't he? You're going to have pressure put on you because you stand for Jesus. And as we look at this and we see this church, they had this there. They were suffering at the hands of Jews or so-called Jews. Do you see that there? I know the blasphemy of them that say they're Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And what is that? Jesus calls them the synagogue of Satan. What does that mean exactly? It's hard to quite know but we think about how Satan blasphemes and slanders, and I think that's what the reference is to right there. They were doing that work. And so as we look at this here, we see this church was under pressure. They faced terrible tribulation. And there's so many things, early church fathers and different writings that I've read and different things, there's reasons they say for some of this. They look at the fact that um, they in Smyrna here, they looked at Christians as cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. Take, eat, this is my body. This is my cup. They literally viewed the early Christians in the city as cannibals. One thing. We could go on. The church in Smyrna here, they had agape feasts, which were love feasts. And what did they do? God's people got together and they ate food together. That's literally what they did. That's all they had. They were they were really Baptists in Smyrna here. They had potlucks and they got together eating together. They fellowshiped around food. You know, we do the same thing at Chili's with the seniors or whatever the case may be. That's all that they did. Do you know what they said they were doing? They were having orgies out there and other things going on, and these Christians were not. They were spreading all this stuff about them that wasn't even true. Literally, they called them agape, they were agape feasts. Literally, God's people that loved one another ate together. And they're saying they were doing lots of other things than eating together. There's so much more that could be said. Um, the fact that some of these Christians and these early Christians, their homes were kind of split up. You say, well, why were their homes split up? Because not everyone and girls, pay attention over here. Because you got people behind you that are focusing in on you because you guys are fooling around a little bit. So just focus in a little bit. And so you might have been joking about something I said, but the thing is, if everyone around you sees you guys talking, then they aren't going to listen to me and they're going to miss the whole message. And so then that wouldn't be good either. And so we'll just focus in. And that's one of the things I love about Wednesday nights. I love having the kids in here because that's an opportunity just to, help remind everybody of that so you gotta remember hey did i ever get in trouble as a kid in church a couple times a couple times but it also helped me grow to where i didn't do those things so don't take it as the end of the world because i say something take it as 
This is also to help them grow so they learn it now so that when they're adults, they don't do like some of you do. Anyways, we'll leave that, we'll leave that there. And so <laughs> they face tribulation, a lot of pressure, a lot more I could say. They also face poverty. This word speaks of being absolutely destitute. They had nothing. You know, I think about this. The temples, those two temples had a gold street down the middle. Do you ever wonder how they probably felt? The Bible says they were. Now, do you see how Jesus said they were rich, though? That didn't have anything to do with their present day issues. And, you know, as believers, knowing Christ and living for him, we are rich. We are. But your bank account might not show that, okay? And that's not what we're trying to say here. They were rich because they had Christ and because of what they had coming someday. But they had poverty. That's what they lived in here. They had nothing. And then you could look. I'm sure they looked and they saw those temples having a gold street between them. Talk about a waste of money. Gold was expensive back then. Gold's expensive today. And so this church, they faced a lot of poverty and serving the Lord. It also tells us that they faced prison. Look at the text there. It says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. When we look there, it says, do you see that ten days? People have different interpretations of what those ten days are. And what, you know, it could mean a couple of different things. I would be under the impression that this is referring to the ten days Roman governors that would cause persecution. What you'll notice is that from Nero, all the ten, ten Roman rulers down the line, there was immense persecution on the early church. And we think about, and then there are those that say this meant it would be a brief time. And there's different opinions on all these things. But do you notice how it says those ten days here? When we look at these, I want to go through and give you just some thoughts about the ten Roman rulers and what they did to early Christians. Because Jesus says here to them, Fear not those that, shall, that thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you're going to have tribulation. The first Roman ruler was Nero. He was in the late first century. And with Nero, when we talk about him, you get that name written down, we're going to put a picture of him up for you tonight. You see that Christians were thrown to hungry lions in Colosseums. Well, all those in the Colosseum would cheer on those lions tearing those Christians apart. It was a, You know how you would go watch a basketball game today or a football game? They filled the Colosseums with people cheering as Christians, were mangled and torn apart by lions. That's what they did. 
Nero, I've mentioned him before, he would have Christians wrapped in robes, dipped in a vat of hot wax, and then hung on a pole in his garden. He would light them on fire so that at night he could light up his gardens with Christians. Nero's the one who had Peter killed. He was crucified upside down. Nero's the one who had Paul beheaded. This is Nero. Nero, at some point, he died, and in 95 AD, the second Roman ruler that I look at these ten, Domitian here, Domitian, when we look at him, what did he do? Christians were stoned, whipped, they were disemboweled. Think on that one for a second. Seared with plates of hot iron. Under Domitian here, Timothy was beaten to death. Timothy that we read about. There's the picture of this wonderful guy. Timothy was beaten to death with sticks. John was boiled in a cauldron of oil and was banished to Patmos and was writing this during Domitian's day. He's the last... So, in the Bible where we'd have different people mentioned, he killed the end of them. Between Nero and Domitian, no more martyrs from the Bible. The third one would have been um, Trajan. And I probably say, don't say these names exactly right. And he ruled in the 111 AD. Christians were placed in... Uh, burning kilns, and survivors were cast into a vat of boiling water. Fox's Book of Martyrs, and that's a book to read if you want to read about early persecution, tells about this elderly widow, um, Symphorius, who refused to bow before Trajan's heathen gods of stone and wood. She was first whipped. She's elderly, about 70 years old. She was whipped, then hung up publicly by her hair, then drowned with a millstone about her neck. They took her sons, tied their arms to posts, jerked those posts violently through the air, dislocating their limbs, then stabbing them to death, except for the youngest. They took the youngest and cut him in half. Ignatius is an early church father that we would look at and know that he was a good pastor back in the day and an early church father. Ignatius was a pastor of a church in the area there. And what tradition tells us is that he was, tradition tells us that he was, remember how Jesus took a child up in his arm and where the disciples didn't want him to take, you know, where they said they were going to send him away and he says, suffer, let the kids come to me. And he took a child up in his arm. Tradition says that Ignatius was that child. Is it true? Is it not? That's what they say, but who knows. But he defied Trajan, who cast him into prison. He was scourged, and they ordered that um, pinchers be applied to his skin until he was deformed. And further torture, oily splinters were inserted into his sides, then lit on fire, and being thrown to the lions, Ignatius made this famous statement, I am the wheat of Christ. 
I am going to be ground with the teeth of wild beast that I may be found purebred. What was Ignatius' crime? Loving Jesus. That was his crime. No different than what we claim today. That was his only crime. The next Roman ruler, number four, would be Antonius Pius. Does it get any better during the persecution during this time? No, believers were put in cages with wild bulls. But rather than fleeing the bulls in fear, they tell us that literally in these cages, these Christians didn't fear. Instead of running and trying to get away, they ran towards the bulls and jumped at them. And then they died on the horns of these bulls. They literally didn't fear what this man and these people would do to them. Others were given to lions. There were many during this time that got saved that were watching this all take place because of the testimony of those that were dying. Now, we don't like to talk about all this stuff, but this is real. We will look in the Bible and see that Stephen was stoned. And we look and see what happened. Jesus was hung on a cross. But Jesus said that there would be persecution. And this is what people faced. The fifth Roman ruler next in line was Marcus Aurelius. And uh, he made public executions of Christians more of a, even a greater spectator sport. It was a big deal. This is where there was a guy by the name of Justin Martyr. Ever hear that name before, Justin Martyr? It's where the term martyr, being a martyr for... You didn't want the name Justin Martyr. Him and his six friends were beheaded for Christ. And that's where the term a martyr comes from, Justin Martyr. You can actually find his writings, Justin's writings, and there's some writings of his that you can actually read to this day. And uh, there was a famous deacon during that time, Concordus was the guy's name, and he not only refused to worship an idol, but he spit in that idol's face, and he was tortured and killed for doing it, for standing up for Jesus. The sixth Roman ruler was Septimus Severius. During his reign, young men were forced to run the gauntlet and were bashed by their persecutors, then thrown to tigers. Christian women during his time were strung up in nets, naked before crowds, and then they would remove the nets for bulls, bears, and leopards to destroy them. There was a lady by the name of per, uh, Perpetua. She was 26 years old and had just had a baby. And she showed her true devotion to God and exalted him. And she refused to sacrifice to the 
idols that this man had. And he literally took her baby away from her. And she was locked in a dungeon and only was allowed to see her baby every once in a while. And she was summoned before the judge and commanded to deny Jesus Christ as Lord. And her father was there in that courtroom holding the baby, begging her to just recant and to deny Jesus Christ. He pled with her. She wouldn't. She was placed in an arena with a gladiator. That that gladiator didn't want to kill her. And he stabbed her a few times with a sword, but didn't kill her. She guided his sword to her heart, and she died for Jesus. She could have recanted and denied Jesus Christ and had her baby returned to her and let go. But she was willing to die for Jesus. Number seven was Maximinus. Under his reign, 42 Roman... It gets quiet in here when we talk about this stuff, doesn't it? During his reign, 42 Roman senators got saved through the witness of the martyrs that had died. This guy was so outraged, the heads of the 42 senators were sent to the city gates as a reminder of those who would turn to Christ what this man would do to them. Many pastors were killed at this time, and other men of the church were pulled through the streets by wild horses and bulls. A woman by, at the age of 70, Apollyana is her name, was discovered to be a Christian and was fastened by a mob to a stake. She pled to be released, and the people did so, expecting her to recant, but she didn't. And they were going to go grab her, and she jumped into the fire and took her own life at 70. The next Roman ruler, number eight in the list here, would uh, be this guy here. He only, three years is all that he ruled. And during that time, and only had three years of persecution, he used this thing called a rack the first time it was used. And Christians were tortured. They were stretched on it. And, uh, but did you know during this guy's reign, some of the great revivals broke out? And secular history tells us that the heathen temples were almost all forsaken at a time during this time because so many people were um, turning to Christ. Churches were crowded with converts. And this guy tried to put an end to Christianity. He had believers sealed into large caves and left to die and would tie them to heavy wheels and then roll stones over them. And his whole goal was to make people turn back to the pagan gods or die for following Jesus. Number nine was Valerian. There was a well-known Christian that you can read about, and maybe you've heard of him before, Saturnius. 
He was dragged down the temple steps till his brains came out. There were two women during this time, Rufina and um, Secunda. They were engaged to be married to men of high esteem, and uh, all four of them professed Christianity. They were taken captive, and the young women, guess what the men did? They renounced their faith, the two guys did. They said, we're not Christians, we don't believe in God and Jesus, and they were let go. But the two women did not. They were tortured and beheaded. And the two guys got to go free. There was a church treasurer during that day. Hey, there are some saved treasurers. Who knew? By the name of Lawrence. His church supported many hundreds of poor, blind, maimed in the area. And the Roman government demanded of Lawrence that he bring to them all the money in the church treasury. He said, I'll be back in three days with the church's greatest treasure. He did return with the poor, blind, and maimed. And for this, he was roasted on an open gridiron. He died slowly while praying out loud for souls to be saved because of his death. And there was a Roman soldier right there by the name of Romanus that turned to Christ, seeing Lawrence die. And eventually he was beheaded and whipped for his belief in Christ. And uh, the next one, number 10, is Diocletian. And Diocletian, he was probably the bloodiest of the 10 Roman rulers. And on one occasion, there was the, there was the, the Theban legion of the Roman army. 6,000 Christian soldiers were in this Roman army. Because you got to understand, when people, you want to know what real faith looks like? See someone having a lion before them and them not recanting. See them get beheaded for Jesus Christ. That's real faith. And people saw it and they were believing. And so this army had 6,000 that turned to Christ. The legion was ordered to sacrifice to idols and to swear allegiance to Rome. They refused and were decimated, meaning every tenth man of the 6,000 army was killed. 90% remained, and they still wouldn't bow, so they did this again. Nearly 5,000 of the remaining troops were cut in pieces by their fellow troops. Their wives and children were caught, tortured, and killed. And Diocletian, his son, was Constantine. And Constantine, around 313, offered the Edict of Toleration and brought an end to the persecution. And Constantine, for early church history, just so you know, he literally, a couple years later, started what would become to be known as the Catholic Church. Bringing religion together so my take about where it says here that 10 days you're going to suffer i believe refers to those 10 roman rulers and the persecution for that church time but not only what smyrna went through and what smyrna went through and what and the things that they saw and went through i want to give you one example of an early church father and things of that. His name was Polycarp. 
And he lived from 69 to 156 A.D. He was the bishop of the church in Smyrna, the one we're reading about tonight. And he was a polycarp from the writings and things that we see. He was a disciple of John. He followed John. And, was, and so he was arrested. And this angry mob cried this away. And so, away with the atheist, let polycarp be sought out. They wanted him. He was 86 years old at this time. 86. And at this time, it was given the opportunity to renounce Jesus Christ. The magistrate who did not want to see the old man die said, What harm is there in saying, Lord Caesar? Just say it. That's all you got to say, Lord Caesar. But Polycarp refused. When they entered the stadium where the execution took place, they tried again saying, Swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say away with the atheists. Polycarp fixed his gaze on the crowd, waved his arm at them, said, Away with the atheists. The magistrate again attempted to get Polycarp to renounce his faith and said, Swear, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ. To that the old man cried, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. He never did me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? After a few more attempts to get Polycarp to renounce Jesus, they led him away to the stake to be burned alive. They were about to nail him to the post. And Polycarp, he said this, Leave me as I am, for he that giveth me strength to endure the fire will also enable me, without your securing me by nails, to remain without moving in the pile. They literally left him loose and lit the fire. And as the flames were going up around Polycarp, he was heard to be praying and rejoicing in Jesus. And we can't take people making fun of us we can't take someone closing the door on us telling them about jesus we can't take a little fine and this is what they went through for doing what we do literally what would you do if someone told you you're going to be thrown to the lions or you just recant your faith in Jesus. And you can talk real big tonight and say, well, I wouldn't do it. Well, you don't know. But a lot of people didn't go to church because they were scared what the government was going to do to them just a couple years ago. Christianity is very soft today. Very soft. You know around the world there are people dying for their faith today? There are people being martyred today for their faith. We have it very good. We have nothing to complain about, but I will just remind you of the fact the day is going to come, and it's not that far away, where this persecution is going to come again. You better be ready to stand for Jesus. If they could do it, we can do it. And that's why we need to be more bold than where we live today. I know this world wants nothing to do with it. They've never wanted anything to do with Jesus. Do you realize that? Still, he's still right. 
still right to stand up for Jesus. We see that they faced all this, the prison, the persecution, those 10 days. Think about what Jesus said in 2 Timothy 3, verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said in John 15, 18 through 25, he said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sinned, and now they have not cloaked for their sin. He that hated me hateth my father also. If I have not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not sinned. But now have they seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause." Remember when, uh, remember when Paul, well, Saul, saw the light on Damascus Road? And Jesus said, hey, it's, who, who are you, Lord? Saul said, and Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom, you, whom you're persecuting. Did Saul literally persecute Jesus or Jesus' followers? His followers. We see these things. Mark 13 talks about getting towards the end of things, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But ye that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world you're going to have pressure. Just like we read about this church in Smyrna. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We see that this church was a crushed church. Number two, and these last few points will get done quickly. We see that Smyrna was a faithful church. They were a faithful church. As I mentioned, remember the church at Ephesus? Church at Ephesus, they did a lot of good things, but the Lord's like, I have somewhat against you. I've got some things against you. You've left your first love. The church at Smyrna here, we see letter A, the fact that they had a good testimony, a positive testimony. And this is what the Bible says. What did Jesus say there? I know thy works. I know what you do. And you see, he doesn't tell them anything there to correct. That's a powerful statement. Because he knows what they were doing. And he doesn't say, hey, you need to change this and fix this. We see there you have a positive testimony in letter B. That's, that's a powerful testimony. That word works, it refers to the business which occupies a person's life. In spite of everything around them, the pressure that they were under, they did right. And I love this. We see that this church was a crushed church. We see that this church here was a faithful church. And then we see lastly tonight that Jesus was there to comfort them. I don't know if you noticed as we read this tonight, but did you notice how Jesus started out here? And you think about this fact, Jesus was there to comfort them, which leads to letter A. 
Jesus had been where they were. Look at how he starts out to this church. These things saith the first and the last. Look at this, last, look at this next phrase. Which was dead and is alive. Why did Jesus bring up the fact that he was dead and now he's alive? Because he was martyred. He was tortured. He, was, he went through it. He tells them that to let them know. He's telling them, I've been there. I've suffered like you're suffering. I've been through it. I was dead, but I'm alive. And I'm here for you in the midst of the suffering that you're going to go through. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 2, verse number 18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. The Bible tells us in John 10, verse 29, my Father which gave them me is greater than all, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Our school's theme verse, Romans 8, verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and made manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. And Romans 8, 31, What shall he then say to these things of God before us? Who can be against us? And you see, they were going to be all right because they had Jesus. He makes the difference. And then we see the fact that as they lived for the Lord, they were going to be, letter B, lastly, they would be rewarded for it. You see that they would be given the crown of life. That would be, that's the martyr's crown. And you know, you, and uh, that, the crown of life there, the word for crown here refers to Stephanus, or the laurel crown that was given to victors at the ancient Greek games. And what I like to look at and think about that is this world would have labeled all those early Christians and all those martyrs as a bunch of losers in these games and everything that took place with their lives. But they were the real winners. And so we see the church at Ephesus a couple weeks ago. Tonight we see the church at Smyrna. And may I just remind you, why should we have life easy like we do when all those suffered for Christ before? That day could come again. And I would encourage you to stand up for Jesus. And I, if you just look around us, it's coming. It's coming. I, um, a couple weeks ago, I had to do some... Uh, sexual harassment training at the PD, being a chaplain. And you would be shocked what is coming down the line from the state of what could be considered harassment. 
And it's not long if it's filtering into all these places, government places, it will be passed down before too long. And we are going to have to make a choice at some point to stand up for what's right or not. Today we, uh, I've posted on Facebook, um, it was three years ago on May 17th, we, went, we started our first outdoor service when we weren't supposed to be having church. And we had our drive-ins and things long before that as well. But I said it a long time ago, and all we shouldn't have closed, and we won't ever close. We got to stand for what's right. If they could do it so long ago, we can stand for what's right today. And may I just encourage you, if those people could be so faithful to the Lord, why can't we be faithful? Why is it so hard to tell someone about Jesus? Why is it so hard to go to church? You have a free, you can come to church anytime you want. Government's not going to stop you or get upset with you at this point. A lot of persecution. A lot of people. We have a lot of what we have today from a lot of people that suffered. We're going to talk about that summit vacation Bible school. Our theme is the Word of God and how it's been passed along. There have been a lot of people that have suffered so we could have the Word of God. Let's be grateful for what the Lord's done for us. Let's live for Him and never take for granted His blessings in our lives. Father, we thank You for the time that we've had this evening. We thank You for the truths that are found in Your Word. Pray that You'd help each of us to take these truths, apply them